Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. Glad you joined us here today. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor of, of our church. Now, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, I would love to after our service. And uh, we're, we've been, uh, for the past few weeks, walking through a series of messages focused on the topic um, of bringing people into the fold. Uh, how do we, you know, as God brings new people to Valley Lights, we want them to feel welcomed and invited for people to experience a sense of belonging here. And you probably noticed that when it comes to churches, people come and go. Sometimes a person might visit for a Sunday or two and then go check out another place. Or uh, maybe people have been a part of a church for a long time and then they transition out and they go to another church or they just stop going to church altogether. And I've thought about that dynamic a lot over the past couple of years and I've sort of wondered like what do you think what are the reasons that that happens why do you, why does why does so many people leave churches or you know it may to be good to go to another church and there's actually probably a lot of reasons why that happens I think there's a, a variety of reasons that a person might leave but I think among the list of reasons is that sometimes relationships get damaged sometimes the reason for leaving a church has a lot to do with the people that are being left there. And maybe a hope of going to a place where you can find different relationships or different kinds of people. And I was thinking about this dynamic a little bit. And I thought, man, if a, person, if a person went to a church and they experienced really healthy, satisfying relationships, like at church, you're like, these... The people here, this, these are really meaningful friendships to me. I think it would be really hard to get a person to leave if that was the case. I'm like, why, why would you go anywhere else? What would be the reasons that you'd leave if you're like, no, I love these people. I'm all of, it'd have to be some real extreme situation to get a person to leave a, a place of really healthy relationships. And then I began to wonder, like, man, where can you, where can you even go to find satisfying relationships? And you're like, okay, well... I'll turn to my family, like my extended family. You're like, okay, I got some, some, there's a mixed bag there. There's some positive ones and some negative ones, all right? Not always the most reliable. All right, where, can, where else can I go to find satisfying relationships? My workplace? You're like, yeah, for sure not there. Or like, no, no, like, yeah, there's a guy, there's a buddy, I have a coworker. Maybe that's a mixed bag too. Like, man, everywhere you go in life, you're like, where can I find a true sense of belonging and goodwill where things are healthy and I really enjoy the people that I spend time with. Well, according to the Bible, relationships are very crucial for our lives. You can try to, you can try to make it through life without good relationships, but I don't, that's, that's not what God intends. That's not actually how he made reality to work. So you've got different levels of, of, of relationships. You may have some acquaintances. Acquaintance is just basically somebody I know. And you may have a friend. And a good, a good definition of friend is somebody who intends your good. A friend is, is somebody that's going to work towards you experiencing good. An enemy is somebody who works for your downfall. They, they're trying, they're trying to, they would like to see negative things or bad things happen in your life. And there are some friends who are really enemies because they're working towards your downfall. But I think, when, if we look at the Bible, we... Here's a few principles that kind of help us, uh, in a way, think about relationships from a biblical perspective. In Genesis 2, 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. 
I'll make a helper corresponding to him. So the first person that God makes after Adam is um, he makes a wife. Out of the wife, though, then comes children, more relationships, and out of their children becomes community. And really what happens is this development, God's design, is the development of civilizations and societies and people living and operating and working together. And it starts with God saying it's not good for man to be alone. You know, you, you probably, sometimes you see movies or these pictures of people, of the real, the real hardened loner, just the guy who's just out by himself, you know, he just wakes up in his bed and he works out and then he goes and does some heroic, adventurous things. Or, or whatever the, whoever the character is, this person, you know, we have this, there's this self-sufficient perspective. And in, in, in real life, if there's a person that, that lives that way, the loner, a person is actually hurting on the inside because of relationships. It's not supposed to be that way. We also, we, we really need the help of other people that we can find in the context of relationships. We just need help from others. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about this. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. If either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. There's nobody there. I'm struggling. I'm stumbling. Man, I am really suffering in life, and there's just nobody there. What a pity that is. It says also if two lie down together, they can keep warm. How can one person alone keep warm? If someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. Actually, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You got, you got two people that are there to support you. Man, that's even, there's a lot of strength there. We have much greater strength in life out of relationships. God puts people around us and he intends for others to be a help to us. So if you're going through hard times, actually, if you're going through hard times right now, you need the support that the right people can give. So because of this dynamic, God made us for relationships and we, re we really need them, an unfriendly person has really poor judgment. To be, to be unfriendly and the loner or isolated, Proverbs 18.1 says, the one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Why do people isolate themselves? You know, of course, we're all, we all have to be around people. We live in a very populated city, and you have a job, probably, and you have to interact with people. But, but you can still relationally isolate yourself. You can be insulated from... You can, everything can just be surface or just transactional relationships, surfacey, never go any deep. Why do people live in that kind of isolation? It says if you, if you, if whenever we do this, and there's, I would say at times, always a pull for us to do this, it's really foolish. It says... Um, he rebels against all sound wisdom, meaning it's, it's stupid. It's really dumb. When it comes to handling real life, for us to isolate ourselves from other people on any significant level, it's because trouble always strikes. You will walk through trouble, and we need others. So to isolate is very foolish. A person who thinks, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I don't need to go deep with anybody. I don't need anybody to help me. I don't need, I don't need anybody. I'm going to just... I'm just going to keep doing my thing my way. According to this verse, that's very foolish. Also, if that's, if that's the track a person is running on, they miss out on this great reality, which is that friendships can 
bring tremendous joy to our hearts. One of the greatest joys in life is friendship. If you were to look back over your own life, think about the most extreme moments or times, probably some of the greatest hurts that you remember in your life probably relate to relationships. And probably the greatest joys that you can think of relate to relationships. It's people, it's time with people, experiences with people. And if you look into the future, if you try to anticipate what's gonna happen, probably some of the biggest problems you're gonna have are gonna be with people. More, you know, and there may be other big problematic things in your life, like maybe your health comes apart, but even in that, even in those things, you're still connected with people and just it creates tension or problem. You know, there, there's just ways that we need to work through people, but when relationships are done rightly, it can bring so much joy. Proverbs 27, nine says, oil and incense bring joy to the heart and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. When it talks about oil and incense, it's just imagine delightful settings and you're in a place with nice music, and there's just sweet smells. There's like a calming ambiance. Imagine a place that's just delightful to be in. This is saying, there, even, even in the most relaxing or enjoyable um, context, it's, it's really the people and the friendships that take the sweetness in life to a whole nother level. It's because people can express deep care for us. They can be there for us. They can walk with us in a way that is so much more enjoyable and pleasing. And if there's times of struggle, maybe, maybe you've had a relationship where there's been a lot of struggle and conflict and difficulty. If you can get to a point where you resolve it, oh man, imagine the sweetness on the other side of the resolution. Actually, the sweetness after the conflict is even better than where the relationship was before. There is such a joy in the relationships that God gives us. So friendships and relationships are intended to be a strength and a help to us. We really need it. Um, romantic relationships will be a subcategory of this, a way that this brings delight to life. And when you begin to follow Jesus, all of a sudden you have new relationships to consider. Before, before you followed Jesus, you're maybe working and going to school or relating to family, but now there's a whole group of church people that are in your life as well, and there's new relationships to consider when you join a church. And so according to the Bible, we really need to choose our friendships wisely. We've got to think about the people that we hang out with, spend a lot of time with. And in our culture, we're not taught to do that. Some movies, they create a bleeding heart where you're just, you're just supposed to help anybody that has problems. Or in other movies, you find that you know, there's this true group of adventurers that you'll do life with. And, and uh, actually, according to the Bible, we, we really need to pick the people carefully who are going to get close to our hearts. You know, there's lots of people that you have to relate to and you come across. But as far as the people that we let in to a, into a close circle, um, that has to be very carefully picked. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. Imagine the way that, you know, a file is used to sharpen a knife. The file makes an impact on the knife. So as we, as we rub against cl people close to us, they shape us. They actually shape who we are and what we say, even the way we talk, maybe the way we laugh, the way we think about things, our perspective. So people can shape us for good or for evil. In Proverbs, it says also, the righteous choose their friends carefully. 
the way of the wicked leads them astray. So that word carefully, it means I'm going to be cautious. As I, as I relate to people and as, I, as we hang out and our, relationship, our friendships deepen, I'm going to be cautious. Not, not unfriendly. Not, I don't need to be unfriendly, but man, I really got to, I got to think about who I'm letting get close to me. Proverbs 13.20, I love this verse. The one who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Have you ever joined a group of fools and then you got harmed in the process? I have. There have been times when a group of guys doing some things and I should have just let the fools go on their way. And I joined in and I got damaged as a result. If you make if I, if I were to make a consistent pattern being around the wrong people, man, or maybe, maybe I see these, this, these, are, these are some people and they're, and they're headed in a direction that I can see they're headed for trouble. What I need to do is I need to, I need to pull my heart back from them. I can be an acquaintance. I can be kind of like a loose buddy or just kind of check in every once in a while. But to, this, this idea of walking with people or being a, a companion it really, really the word companion means grazing buddy. <laughs> like, like sheep or, or cows that are out, they're just out there hanging in the pasture, just eating together, you know, rubbing next to each other, mingling. So we, we, we carefully select these. In the New Testament, it also says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I think it's important to notice this because apparently we can be deceived. Apparently we can think like, no, they're not going to affect me. Like, no, no, they're okay. Like, no, I'm strong enough. Or I'm going to influence them. No, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And we tend, we tend to be taught from society that this whole area of friendships, you don't have to think that carefully about. You know, the way the, way the media and the society portrays it is that friendships just happen. You know, lo- love just happens. You know, if you watch movies, you just think you're just walking along and then boom, lo- like love. Oh, man, there's a relationship here. And then the movie goes on. Or I'm walking along and then boom, there's a new friend. Oh. All right, let's do this adventure together. And that's what it feels like it should be happening. But no, biblically, we evaluate. Like, slow down, watch our hearts, and, and carefully think about who's in our life. We hook up our lives with people who are heading in the right direction. Sometimes it's less convenient. Sometimes it requires more work. But the right people can help us avoid being pulled in the wrong direction. So let me give you a few more relationship insights and when I do this, there's maybe some fill-in-the-blanks you can use to think through some of your own experiences, but maybe, maybe bring to mind a few relationships in your life right now, some people that are maybe like closer to your heart. Bring a few people to mind. Could be, could be friends or family members. And then kind of as, as you have these people in mind, run, run through some of these things that we get from the Bible. The first thing is that relationships ought to be mutually beneficial. So you and the other person ought to be benefiting from the fact that you're, you have a relationship together. And you would think this would be obvious. Like this should always happen, right? But many times this idea gets left in the dust. People, people ought to find that the relationship is benefiting both sides. And whether it's a friendship or you're a neighbor or even if it's guy-girl relationships, sometimes it just ends up benefiting one person at the expense of the other. Well, that always leads to separation. That always leads to distance. Like that, How long can that last if only one person is receiving benefit? Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we have to look. We have, the person that we're relating to, it's really, really easy to think, like, what's in it for me? All right, what am I hoping to do? What do I want? What do they want? What's good for them at the expense of me? When a relationship gets one-sided, this happens really easily, then only one person benefits and then trouble begins. And uh, I actually talked a little bit more about what kind of trouble begins last week. We did a whole message called Avoiding Relationship Killers. And so there's some things that we do in relationships that can effectively start putting a knife in the friendships or the relationships we have. I encourage you to listen to that. Um, another thing about relationships is that they should have an atmosphere of freedom in them. People need that. Well, people should have the choice to relate or not, to deepen the relationship or not. And, and if, if, it, if it's going to be healthy, there really needs to be freedom for the other person and for me. I don't know if you've ever had a relationship where you don't feel free. You, you felt pressure. You felt like kind of like suffocated or you felt like maybe there's pressure for this person to go deeper or maybe there's pressure I got to show up and be there and there's, there's pressure for me to respond in the right way when they tell me they're new. Like, there, we, we experience this often where there's just not the freedom that God intends. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if a relationship truly is pleasing to God and God is in it, there ought to be a sense of freedom for each person. There, just, just move, like ease of movement. Like I can relate, or I, can, I can show up, or I can not show up, or we can talk, and I, can, I just can feel like I can express myself normally. That ought to be there. Ecclesiastes says, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net, and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. This is describing um, when a person feels grabbed by a person and then held down. And you, you, if this is happening, you feel smothered. You feel trapped. Can't get away. Galatians 5.1 also says, For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So if you ever get into a relationship and the freedom begins to evaporate, and you feel some bondage, it's a signal that something's unhealthy there. We need to give people space and air and freedom. This ties to another relationship killer we looked at last week as well. Another thing about relationships that may not come naturally is that relationships require investment. So they require time, energy, and even emotion. And the deeper the relationship, the greater the investment. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a, any kind of like healthy relationship, you're gonna have to spend some time. I'm gonna have to spend some money. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to spend some of my emotions, or I, I'll have to spend some of my words. You know, you know, each day I've got like a certain amount of words that I use, and then when I use up, I'm like done. I want to be, I want to be out. Like I'm in bed, and like no words are. No, I gotta. I gotta spend myself. I have all kinds of different resources. And if this relationship is gonna go, I gotta be willing to make the deposits. Earlier in my marriage, we, uh, we had some struggles and a mentor told me that we were not, it seemed obvious to him that we didn't have adequate time to talk. 
And he's like, you need to make sure that you're carving out time to talk every day. I was like, every day? <laughs> Isn't that a little excessive? Like, <laughs> my goodness, that's like, feel, I'm like, I'm feeling smothered every day. He's like, no, every day you need to have different kinds of conversation, actually. For di you need to talk about business stuff. You need to talk about your heart. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this, is, this sounds draining. Most women, I think, are aware of this principle. Relationships require investment. And uh, they require my research. For some guys, this is a revelation. <laughs> guys tend to move through life objectively, you know, and a relationship starts forming. Oh, this issue of, of okay, now I have to give and give my attention and put deposits. It, it can feel like a big surprise. And so the deeper the relationship, this is, you know, marriage, but also friendships as well, but the deeper the relationship, the greater the investment that needs to be made, the greater the deposits and the sacrifices. I, I realized there was a book that helped me think about the, the amount of energy required in marriage. Specifically, this, this is a relationship that's unlike all the others. It's the deepest. And uh, marriage requires an enormous amount of energy. And imagine, imagine uh, like your vehicle is the most gas inefficient vehicle that you could buy like a, like a giant truck or like a Humvee and it uh, feels like you just imagine just driving that everywhere and you never turn it off you just leave it running all the time it's in the driveway it's just running and all the time it's just guzzling gas that to me it was like a picture of how much of my resources just need to go into this relationship for it to be healthy it just it just is it consumes or like imagine how much energy is required to get a space shuttle into space just and it just it just burns up energy for for this relationship to go well i need to be ready to burn up and just use and pour tons of energy and investment and resources into that relationship so you have different levels of friendships if you want if you want some good friendships you want things to go well with people it's going to affect your wallet it's going to affect your energy. It's going to take emotional resources out of you. You're like, oh, I feel drained. That's what it takes. For some people, you, some of you here, you, you could see 100 of your friends in a one-hour space, and you feel refreshed and pumped up. <laughs> Others of you, you can only handle one person <laughs> over an hour, and even that drains you. And either way, either way, whatever your personality, we're, we are required to make an investment into people and to the relationship. Also, relationships require commitment to another's best. This one is very crucial. This is another one that seems really obvious, but somehow gets left in the dust so easily. Like, we're, we are commanded to love people. I need to be thinking about what, what is the thing, this person that I'm relating to, what is their best? What is best for them? Matthew 22 talks about when someone asks Jesus what the most, okay, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he says, this is the greatest, most important command. And he talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But he threw another one in there. Jesus didn't just let him off the hook with the God one. There's this other one. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. It's kind of like two sides of a coin. The way we love God wholeheartedly. The way we love people, really in a way that we're committed to what's good for them. Love in the biblical sense doesn't mean emotions. 
It means commitment. We're so, we're so ingrained and trained to believe that love has like this emotional component and that let, you know, the emotion kind of leads me around and I'll invest if I feel good about it and if I don't feel good about it, I'm not going there. Like, why would I do that? No, but love really is a commitment. It means I'm, I'm committed to doing what's best for them. And I'll do it because that's right, no matter how I feel, and especially when I feel the opposite. This is agape love, the Greek word agape. It's love that sacrifices for the other person, and it doesn't matter if the emotions are there or not. So if I'm going to enter a relationship, I need to think about what's best for them. Also, this comes up again in uh, Matthew 7, 12. It says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament. The, he, like, Jesus boils it down really succinctly. Some people call this the golden rule. Or like, again, in Luke 6, he says, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. So if you're wondering, like, how do I, man, how do I handle this relationship? Or how do I, what do I do for this person? Or like, man, there's a struggle here. What should I do? Well, ask yourself, what would I want? What would I like to be done for me? And if you do that, you'll be pretty well on target. You can actually cover a lot of bases with just answering that question. This issue of commitment is so important. We, what we really do is we, we get tempted to try to take things from people rather than to be a giver. We're looking kind of like so easily. We, we evaluate our relationships like, all right, what can that person do for me? Okay, I like that. I like them or I love spending time with them. Like, do they have things that I want or... We just, we have this filter, what's in it for me? It's like almost, it feels impossible to take that filter off. So we're, we end up often being a taker rather than a giver. This can happen in romantic relationships. They get all worked up and really want to be with a certain person and then and we can get jealous. I don't want them to be around other certain people because then they, they might have experiences that deprive me from what I'm wanting or we can be very demanding with people. They're not meeting my needs. I, I need them to meet my needs. In reality, Jesus says, no, my job is to express love by serving them and letting God take care of my needs. So being committed to another person's best is not necessarily always what they want. Sometimes I may, I may need to tell people, I, no, I'm, I'm not going to give you money right now. I know what you'll do with it. You're going to hurt yourself with it. Well, if you were my friend, you would just give me what I want. I am your friend, and I'm not going to do what you want. Sometimes the best for another person is not doing the thing that they want. So this is a, this is a commitment to what, what truly is best for a person. Before God, as I stand before him, like, I really want to show genuine, agape, unconditional love for this person, and really what's their best. Another, another thing about relationships is that they require trust. Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desired in a man is steadfast love. Unfailing love. Really, really what we want. Down underneath it all. We want people to, to care for us. To express goodwill to us. We, we, want, we want real, genuine people who will be there for us. We, and this is really hard to find. This is, this is why I says this is what is desired in a man. You know, in, in all of our hearts, this, 
a man, this meaning term for people, men and women, we all want this. We want to be treated considerately and faithfully. But relationships require trust, and oftentimes we experience the opposite. And so it's very easy to go into relationships feeling guarded. Um, that's no, there's actually a certain amount of that that's normal. Some of, us, some of us have been really badly damaged in the past, and so we're highly guarded around new people. Others, maybe you've had better experiences and you may not be as guarded. It's not wrong to be guarded. It actually can be smart at a certain level because not everyone in the world is out for your best. And so we need to carefully see what people are like. But how, how do you build trust in a relationship? How does that happen? You know, with no trust, you know, you can't do anything. You can't relate. It's all surface. So how do you build trust? When you got two people, it starts with two people who don't know each other, and then one person takes a little risk, and then they're not, they're not harmed. It goes okay. Like, they take a little risk by opening up or expressing themselves or sharing or, you know, giving a little bit. They take a little risk, and they're not harmed. Okay, so then I, I begin to actually trust this person a little bit more. So then they take a greater risk. They're not harmed. So I, I have more trust. I take another risk in the relationship, not harm, and, and as two people begin to take risks and they find that the other person's not damaging them, the trust level in each person grows. So risk, you know, the kind of risks that we take with people is, is opening up. It's exposing more of my heart. It's really sharing my true thoughts. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more personal with you. Also, it's a way that we, we also express care for people. It's kind of risky sometimes to just actually give and serve them genuinely. So if you, if you want a friend, if you want friendships that are a little more meaningful, richer, bring that joy and delight in life, you'll have to take new steps of risk to make it grow deeper. If you want to remain totally protected, no risk, that term is isolation. You can be around people, but you're isolated. You cannot have relationships without risk. You cannot have love without risk. I think, I think it's because no one can ever prove their love to you. People can prove that they don't love you. That's really easy to do. I can do all kinds of damaging things in just a few seconds. But no one can actually prove that they love you. You have to believe it extend some trust, and in the process, you risk that you could be hurt. And this is how trust grows. It, is, it, it truly is essential for relationships. If you've ever been damaged in the past, if, um, you'll have to, if to get there, you'll have to take little steps of risk, and then sometimes a, a self-defeating strategy in, the, in this road to, to trust. Um, sometimes we have this strategy where, well, I'll just be a real pain to the other person. Because if I'm a pain, then they'll reject me, but push me away, and then I'll say, see, that proves it. They don't really care about me after all. Like, forget that I was being, like, obnoxious and, like, stiff-arming them and being a pain. But, like, no, they, they're, not, they're not faithful. They just rejected me. They're, they want to be away from me. This is, this, really, this is a way to stay risk-free and also relationship-free. 
So the question for you is, are you willing to take a step of risk and open yourself to the possibility of being hurt? I don't mean, you know, just as soon as you meet somebody, boom, dump your whole heart on the table at the first encounter and say, accept me or reject me. That's, that would be foolish. Take steps, take steps. I would say even a Sunday morning like this is full of risks for newer people. When you walk through those doors, it, maybe if you're brand new, it's on your mind like, how am I going to be accepted? How will people treat me? It's kind of risky. It's risky going to a new place, especially if you know nobody. If I say, even if a new person says hello, that's kind of risky. It's a, it's a small risk, but it's a risk. Like, what, will they like, smile back? Will they be scowl? I don't really know. So all relationships require risk and taking steps towards trust. Another, another aspect is that relationships have two key ingredients, love and faithfulness. If you want a good reputation over the years and you want people in your life to look at you with favor, like you have you've like earned respect and there's just, there's a commonality, there's, there's these two things that are required, love and faithfulness. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you Bind them around your neck, like make it permanent, you know. Put it like a bind, like chain it around you, write them on the tablet of your heart. Never, ever, ever let these things go, love and faithfulness. Then, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and people. Man, the word love here is a Hebrew word that especially means kindness and loyalty. There's a lot of situations where I could say something cutting, I could be sarcastic, I could be contradictory, or I could just provoke. But no, to, to just always have love. I mean, I'm, all, all those options in front of me, instead of doing those things, I'm going to say things that are kind. So it usually has to be a pretty chosen thing that we do with the Lord's help, with the, Spirit, help with the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness, that word right there, it means reliability. There's, if, if a relationship has this kind of faithfulness, it means that you can lean against it and it won't move. You can stand on it and it's not going to collapse. The person is there. They are firm. They're solid. We want relationships with people like that. We want reliable. I want to be able to know that I can lean on you and when I need help, you'll be there and you won't fall through. With you, I can trust you with secrets. You'll be reliable. I, how, I, how you handle my reputation in front of other people. If there's needs that I need, you'll, you'll be there. I can count on you. Love and faithfulness. Those two things are what gain favor. This is how we can be well thought of in a group of people even. Sometimes you have family members that maybe don't have the greatest opinion of you. Maybe they have a negative opinion. What, what, what do you do about that? How do, you, how do you get a good reputation with your family members that really don't like you? Love and faithfulness over a long period of time. As you interact, you don't have to go overboard, but just as you relate, I, I'll just keep doing the kind thing, and I'll keep being reliable and faithful over a long period of time. Another thing about relationships is that they need maintenance. Especially the two maintenance categories of communication and forgiveness. It's really easy to take relationships for granted, particularly if they get a long distance. 
but relationships really thrive as people communicate with one another. So you, you, have a, you drive a car. Why, do, why does your car regularly need maintenance? Because cars break down without it. <laughs> relationships break down without the right maintenance, which means we're going to have to do forgiveness again and again, kind of like an oil change, but pro maybe even more frequent than an oil change, like this thing of forgiveness. I'm going to have to do it again and again and again. I'm going to have to take care of this relationship well. In a, in a real relationship, people get hurt, all right? So that's, that's life, right? Hopefully, maybe we can agree about this. If you're going to have a relationship, you're going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt. It's not the end of the world. That's what happens because it's, people get hurt because we're close. We're relating together all the time, and I'm still a really big sinner. And so as I relate to you, that means the, the more I relate to you, the, the greater the chances of me hurting you are going way up. I spend more time with you. It's because we're close. So people close together in a crowd are the ones that step on each other, not the person across the auditorium. I'm not even near you. I'm not that offended by you way over there. But people who work together, man, if you work together with somebody 40, 60, 80 hours a week, why do you get offended and struggle? It's because we're together. This is a normal fact of humanity. We, we do things wrong to each other. Sometimes it's on purpose, and sometimes it's not even intentional. But we offend people. I offend people. But what we do, though, is we address it. And we repair it. We do the maintenance that's required. And so, we, so I, I go into life with this expectation that this is, things are going to break down, and it will be, require attention. And so we get it cleared up. Proverbs 16, 6 says, Through love and faithfulness, those two words again, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear, though the fear, through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. So when you blow it in a relationship, let's say you, you really did. You damaged some things here. How do you put it back together? How do you rebuild trust? Just love and faithfulness over time. Choosing kindness, that love that's a real kind love in the reliability of being faithful. When we violate trust and we hurt somebody, how long does it take to put the relationship back together? If you have broken trust, how long does it take? As long as it takes. It might take, I don't know. It's going to take time. How long, do I have, how long do I have to do love and faithfulness? As long as it takes. It's going to take, it's going to take time. And one of the ways that we do this is, I, and I just say, you know, I, I wronged you. And what I, what I did or what I said, it was wrong. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Not, well, if I offended you, would you forgive me? Which basically is like only a small person would be offended by what I did. But in case you're that small, would you please forgive me? <laughs> no, no. I, when I say I was wrong, that's, that's a totally different feel to it. Sometimes we want to skip over that. Ah, forgive me. I just throw it out casually. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You know, the not sorry part of sorry is, you know, <laughs> often there. No, I, I was wrong. And if you're not sure, if you've got a relationship and you actually don't really know if the person's offended or not, you're like, it kind of feels different. And... Now I'm kind of like second-guessing things. You ever been there? I, I, well, if that's the case, go explore and ask, hey, 
Um, it, feel, it feels a little different. I just wanted to find out, is, is there anything I, I've done wrong or anything that I've done to offend you? I would really want to make sure that we're clear. And if they say, no, yeah, we're totally good, you can go on your way. Mm-hmm. Or if there was, it can be addressed. It can be repaired. That's really better than wondering and wondering and wondering, and I don't know, and reading into things and getting all insecure and then putting distance. What, what good is that? Normally in the world, you know, I've talked a lot about trust over the past few minutes, but normally in the world, what happens is we violate a relationship. We do wrong. We break trust, and then we just abandon the relationship. Because, man, I, I never want to see them again. Like, I broke trust. Like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm, I feel humiliated. Or, like, it wasn't me. Like, it's just easier. It's better. It just feels right thing. Just, just leave it. I'm going to just abandon it. And then you look back, and you've got a trail of broken, damaged relationships. And actually, no currently good ones in the moment, either. What we need to do is just swallow our pride and ask for forgiveness. In church, there is room for you to make mistakes. And there's room for you to do things wrong. And there's room for you to offend people, and there's room for you to sin. If we blow it, though, we'll put it back together. We'll address it. We'll deal with it. God never intends that we just rake ourselves over the coals of shame and guilt and just stay there. No. God gives us freedom to deal with things. So since all of our relationships run on trust, or at least the ones that have any quality to them, the last thing you want to do is violate trust because it is so hard to get back. It takes, how long does it take to damage trust? Like on average, seconds maybe. <laughs> how long does it take to, to rebuild trust? Days, weeks, years. And you know what? If you go into it and you think, I'll do what it takes as long as it takes. There can be a, a tremendous growth and peace and development that grows, uh, just um, health that grows over time. Trust can be regained. It really can. And then la- last thing about relationships is that they're going to reveal some new things about you. You might have some people reflect things back to you that you didn't know about yourself. Oh my goodness, this is kind of uncomfortable. This is maybe a reason to avoid relationships. I don't want anyone telling me anything. So there's this, there's this diagram on your chart and also on this handout here. Some people call this the Johari window. But there's, there's, if, you, if you imagine these four quadrants, like a four-pane window, there are some things, top left quadrant, there's some things in my life that are known to me, I know about myself, and other people know them about me. I know and you know things about me. Next quadrant over, there's, to the right, there's some things that I know about me and you don't know. And I'm not telling. <laughs> no, there, I just, there's some things that you don't know. No, uh, but bottom, bottom left, there's things that I don't know about me and other people know them about me. So th- now this is an interesting thing where I'm, I might be totally blind and unaware and everyone else can see it. Or at least maybe a handful of the people closer to me. They know. And they can see it. And they know the way I react. And so they're not going to tell me this thing that could really help. It's really unpleasant to find these things out. This happened for me years ago. Um, I I started hearing people say that they didn't know what I was thinking. Like, I I was really quiet, kept to myself a lot. 
didn't volunteer that much in conversations and um, started with Erin telling me her sisters just said like, yeah, they just, they just, they feel like they can't read you. They don't know what you're thinking. And another person, later on, another person said, um, a guy told me, he's like, I can tell you, you kind of live with your cards pretty close to your chest. And um, I, this comment kept coming back to me. And at first I was okay with it because I thought like, yeah, I'm like mysterious. <laughs> That's right, keep you guessing. But then I, the comment kept coming though, and I realized what was happening is that people felt uneasy around me. And they were, my silence made people feel guarded and unsure about the relationship. Like, what is he thinking? He's probably thinking bad things. Like, what, what is it? I can't read his face. I can't read his actions. And then the result, what I didn't see was this way of relating meant I had a lot of shallow relationships. People wouldn't go deep. They wouldn't. That thing of like extending trust, that wasn't happening because they didn't know what, what was in me. So this was, this was a, a category. Other people knew about it. I didn't know about it. So I had to just start working on expressing myself more, like just sharing and volunteering. And, and one person said like, yeah, and smile a little bit more would be good too. Like, I was like oh, okay, I can, all right. All right, there we go, I'll, I'll smile, use words. I'm like, oh, more words, I gotta talk more. Um, so I, I, I started working on this. There's been, there's been a lot of surprises in my life where people tell me things that I could not see. It's, we have blindness, you're blind, I'm blind. You can't see everything about yourself. And then the last quadrant, ooh, you have to be ready for really big surprises. And sometimes there's things that I don't know about me and nobody knows about, it, about me either because there's, there's parts of things in me I've never experienced before. And maybe being in a relationship brings it out. Or maybe, maybe um, there's some tender spots in my life that I didn't, I didn't even know were there. Or there's some damage from my past that I didn't know it was affecting me. Nobody knew. And if I'm gonna have real relationships, I have to be open and willing to learn new things about myself, not, not be so defensive. It's easy for us to be defensive. And I'd say it's, there's a lot of cases when the input of other people is more accurate about me than my own thoughts about me. This does happen sometimes. People can see things in me that I can't see in myself. So maybe this might be a next step for you as you think about these things of relationships. One, one next step might be for you to humbly listen to input about myself. And I'll take it seriously. I'm not going to brush it off and I get defensive and get all guarded and say, you don't know me. No, I'll, how, about, how about I listen and actually make some adjustments here? Another next step for you might be to pull back from unwise friendships. A few moments ago we talked about how much scripture teaches us to very carefully choose. And so maybe you thought, there are some people in my life I do probably need to put some distance there. I need to just pull back my heart. Not out of you know, anger or meanness, but no, this is, this is their, the time is kind of leading me in a, in a bad direction that I don't really want to go. This is, if you do this, this is hard. This is really hard to do. Because we really care about people, especially if they've been in our life for a long time. Another next step for you might be make a deeper investment of my resources into a wise friendship. Talked about like how much fuel it requires, how much of your energy is required to make a relationship really strong and healthy. Maybe you've been holding back and kind of conserving and just limiting, but maybe it's like, no, I need to, I need to invest a little bit more of myself and my time into this person. 
Some of you here at church, you've begun to experience some satisfying relationships in our church family at Valley Life. And so some of you are, are beginning to gain a picture of what this looks like. Just, just this idea of refreshing, enjoyable, satisfying relationships. I'm beginning to taste that, and it's really good. Maybe you feel, you feel what that's like. It is very different from the way the world schools us on how to do friends and people. But if you're, if you're one of those people and you've began to experience, you began to taste the goodness and the sweetness of really good New Testament-oriented relationships, then you can help us build a culture of Christ followers here. Because there are other people that are searching for this. There's people that are hungry for relationships that are not abrasive, People want relationships that are not just guarded all the time. And I can't be my real self ever. No, people are looking. People, people are, are, you know, sometimes they consider God and they consider the Bible and I don't even know if that's real. And then when they see the love and the faithfulness of you guys, like good people, man, the claims of Christ suddenly become very convincing. Like, wow, these people love. These people are, are like, they're, they're not like everybody else. They're not abrasive and rude and sarcastic and cutting. And they never show up when we actually didn't. No, they're, this is really different. Maybe there's more to God in the Bible. When people are searching for God, I think he rarely goes around us to meet people. I think God usually shows himself through us. God is going to show himself to unbelieving people through you. That's an incredible privilege. So you can help us. If you're, if you're on the team, help us. Help us by investing in others. If you're on the newer side to our church, our family, and maybe you're a little bit less connected, we're, we're a church that's smaller. There's a lot of churches that are bigger in our city. And uh, we preach the Bible. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. There's a lot of churches in this city that do that. And there's a lot of churches that do that and they have a lot more programs and things to offer and events and groups and all this. We don't have as much of the, uh, the, the structure and the scaffolding of all the programs. We're smaller. The thing that we do have to offer, though, besides the gospel, is relationships. It's one thing that we can do really well because you don't have to have a big building and a lot of programs. You just need to have people that want to be with people. And so if you're newer and you want satisfying relationships, I really believe you can find it here. If you do this last next step of taking a risky step toward trust, maybe that's, maybe that's you. Of all these things, you're like, that's the one that I need to do, is I just need to begin to open up a little bit more. Just be willing to trust a little bit and see if I get hurt. I hope this has been helpful. Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together this morning, for your word, for all of um, the things that you said in the Old and the New Testament that Jesus, you said and taught us in the way that we can get a really clear picture of what it means to relate to people in a healthy way. And I am so grateful for the joy and the refreshment we can experience when we, when we walk in obedience to your word. Help us to build a kind of culture, a kind of family that is very pleasing to you. And would you use our, our group to lead more people to faith in Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, Bruce.
Uh, as we wrap up this morning, uh, pull up a connection card one more time. If there's anything else that you need to fill out, uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, we'll have our team come by in just a second.